0: Today, we begin a new series, and, and we begin a new series as we enter into a new season as a church. Uh, around Christmas time, we were in the season that we called Advent. We called Advent the season leading up to Christmas or preparing for the arrival of Christ. And Lent is similar, it's what we call the days or the season leading up to Easter. And a lot of times, you hear people giving something up for Lent, right? Or, uh, or fasting for this period of time. And depending on what church you're in, you might hear Lent talked about a little bit differently. Um, it's a, a lot of times it's been considered a thing that only certain churches and certain Christian expressions celebrated and, and participated in. And, and, and we find value in that here. And we started with Ash Wednesday just a few days ago, kind of kicking off this, this season but what we're going to be talking about during Lent as we lead up to Easter is this idea that as we follow Christ and choose to follow him, as he invites us into his mission for us, that we in certain areas are invited to reorient our lives to his life. So yes, he invites us to follow him, he invites us into his mission for for the world and for the place that we particularly find ourselves but at the same exact time that he invites us to walk with him he's also inviting us to be like him so our series for lent we are going to call the great reorientation where we are going to be asking two questions and summing those questions up with one statement is who is jesus who am i and confess the difference. Uh, this was a series of questions and, and a statement that we talked about on Ash Wednesday, setting the tone for this season. And we're going to uncover and explore some of the realities of, of those two questions and that kind of concluding the statement that kind of brings those two to life. Um, and today is will, will be no different as we talk about very specifically, title of today's talk is Navigating Life. Um, and we're going to be looking at a scripture in just a couple of seconds in the Gospel of Luke chapter 4. If you'd like to follow along with us, that's what we're going to be this morning, is Luke chapter 4. And we're going to be considering the life of Christ this entire series. Every single week of this series, as we lead up to Easter, we are going to be looking at a particular scene, In Jesus' life, where he kind of flips the script on what it would mean or what it would look like to live and love um, as Christ lived and loved. And so today's theme, perhaps, is life in general and, and how we navigate it. And so I hope that by the end of today, we will have seen an example from Christ on what it looks like to navigate life when certain speed bumps perhaps um, approach us. So with that, I'd like to read you a story. Uh, If you have been in and out of the church for a while, then you have perhaps heard this story that we generally call Jesus tested in the wilderness. Um, We're going to read it and then talk about it. So this is Luke chapter 4, starting at verse 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan... The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all of the kingdoms of the world. He said to him, I will give you all of their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple and said, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command His angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord, your God, to the test. When the devil finished all of this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Very interesting story for us this morning. Um, a story that would come out of a movie, I feel like, uh, where we have this, this theatrical scene of an antagonist and a protagonist coming at their crossroads, right? Like, this is what every movie comes to, is, is good and evil face off into this, uh, some kind of a battle, and, and we get glimpses of that here. I will say that um, if, if you know your pastor well enough that he studies these things hard, I could speak for about four and a half hours <laughs> on, on those 13, ver- I, there is a lot, there's a lot, there's a lot, there's a lot going on. Um, and it hurts me to kind of approach this story at just one angle, but it's an angle that is going to help us. Perhaps one day we can have a more lengthy discussion on what is happening here. Um, But I I want to begin our conversation based on this story with a statement, with a phrase, and it's this, is that Jesus was sent with purpose and lived with purpose. That is what I kind of want to give us as we begin Our particular discussion on this story is that Jesus was sent with purpose, and he was not only sent with purpose, but he lived with purpose as well. Uh, Consider the life of Christ. Consider the different scenes that we see Jesus at, some scenes that we'll see in the later weeks of this series, is that Jesus stumps those who were trying to stump him. A lot of times he's asked trick questions, and he completely reframes the conversation and presents a a bit of a tricky answer. Um, He heals and spends time with the outcasts of society. Um, These are purposeful things that not everyone did. Um, Later in April, on, on Palm Sunday, the week before Easter Sunday, we are going to look at numerous painful experiences, which include arrest and betrayal. There was an absolutely intended purpose for Jesus' life. He was sent with purpose to earth. We talked about that a few weeks ago. John 3.16, God sent his only son with purpose. And while he was alive on earth, he also lived with purpose as well. One thing is clear, and we gather this in this story as well, is that Jesus was on a mission. Of course, though, we also know how the story ends. We enter into Lent also knowing what we're going to already be talking about on Easter Sunday. And so we navigate the Lenten waters a bit cautiously because we still want it to be meaningful, even though we know where this is headed. We know how the story ends, and, and we know that Jesus knows how the story ends, too. And that's where we kind of enter into this story. We know towards the end of his ministry, Jesus frequently alludes to his departure. There are times where he's having meals with his disciples, and he says, hey, I'm going to be leaving soon. And he is, he is seen as untrustworthy because it could not have been foreseen that he would leave. But we know based on those scenes in his life that Jesus also knows how this ends as well. In his final days, before he is crucified... We read him praying for strength because he knows what's coming. There are several times where we see where Jesus knows how the story ends. But regardless, his purpose, his mission, it was ultimately unthwarted. It did not go changed or moved, and for that we give thanks. Um, But with this in mind, I want us to consider from this story this morning, this passage this morning, how Jesus navigates his life of purpose in a world of shortcuts. When I consider this story and the angle in which, there's a lot of angles in which we can approach this story, when I consider this particular story in this particular season, I approach this story with this in mind is how does Jesus navigate his life of purpose? And of course we ask, how would we navigate our life that we are trying to live with purpose in a world of shortcuts? With this in mind and our story in mind, I want to bring to light two big points of consideration. And the first one is that this scene happens immediately after he is launched into ministry. The very first verse of chapter four is Jesus left the Jordan, which means he got up out of the waters of baptism, a scene where we hear this voice from heaven that says, you are my son with whom I am well pleased. He leaves the Jordan, he leaves the waters of the baptism, and this is the very next thing that happens. He's not given a church of a thousand. He, he's not... Uh, given a bunch of funding for a new work uh, he is not given a free tuition for a seminarian degree he is led into the wilderness where he does not eat for 40 days that is a tough start but this is what we learn from that particular thing is that the rubber meets the road at any moment in life sometimes it happens in the middle of our lives Sometimes it happens towards the end or when some, some catastrophic event takes place in our lives where we, where we are really realizing for the first time, man, this is getting deep. This, this is getting real. This happens for Jesus right when his ministry begins. The rubber has met the road. There's a second point of consideration, and this is an intriguing one for us this morning, is that Jesus is offered what he would eventually hold dominion over. So I want to break down those three temptations. I, I, want, to, I want to break down those three invitations that Jesus has given, and we have this three-part dialogue, this back and forth. Where Jesus is asked, hey, you're hungry, it's been 40 days, turn these stones to bread. He's brought to a high place, and he has said, I have authority over all of this land and where he's brought up to a high place and, and he is invited to jump off so that he can be lifted up. These are not what we would consider to be temptations. When we consider temptations, we think of the, opposite, the, the complete opposite of the good in what we are supposed to do. If I'm supposed to eat healthy, and this is Seth talking, ice cream is a bad thing. That, that would, you know, that's, that's a no-no, right? Um, here's the thing is these three temptations that Jesus has extended, these are not out of the question. Um, because the person who is in this particular scene invited to turn stones into bread what Jesus knows and what we know as well is that he himself would eventually become the bread of life. He would be the one who would eventually feed the 15,000 with seven loaves of bread. But this is, this is an attempt, this is, you see the shortcut that's taking place here. Giving authority over all of the land right at the beginning would Jesus not eventually say at the end of the, his ministry, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples. You see the shortcut here. You see how, you see how this all could have happened day one of his ministry. You see the shortcut. Or being brought up to a high tower and, and being invited to jump down just to test the angels because surely you would be lifted up. Would he not become the ascended one? Would he not become the one who ascends to the right hand of God the Father Almighty? Would he not be lifted up to all of authority? In this scene, Jesus is experiencing the tensions of life, not even as much as the temptations, as the tensions of life where our mission rubs up against the shortcuts of life. There's a way that the world operates. If you know what you are going to do anyways, shouldn't you just put all of your eggs in the basket of getting everything as soon as you possibly can, right? If you know you want to have this degree, or if you know you want to have this business, or if you know you want to achieve this kind of a goal, then wouldn't it be right of you to just go head first and get it as soon as you could? The tension of life is the shortcuts. This is what we can conclude based on all of this, is that God thinks that what gets done is important, but how it gets done is even more important. And we see that played out right before us, where there is this moment in the beginning of his ministry where, we, where he has extended everything that he would eventually work towards. The what's were good. The what's were things that would eventually all become true. But what we learn here and what Jesus himself shows us is that How those good things get done is even more important than the things just getting done. And there is biblical wisdom that supports these things. I'm going to kind of allude to three different verses. You may or may not be familiar with them. The first one is in Matthew chapter 15 where Jesus is speaking to a group of Pharisees and he pretty much says, you have such a great way of breaking the commands of God for the sake of your human traditions. Human traditions are, by and large, good things. They're not bad things. But to have to break the commands of God in order to achieve those good things, that is not how we do the good what. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he says a phrase that rocks me to the cord. Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything can be done. We are are people with with free will. We can make decisions. But not all of those things would be good of us to do. Not all of those things would be beneficial for us to do. And in the Gospel of Mark chapter 8, a phrase that I think a lot of us have heard before, what is it worth when someone gains the whole world but loses their soul. It would be a good thing to gain. I mean, that, that makes sense. But there is a very real threat that Jesus alludes to where at th- there is a threat where there is the loss of soul. God does care about what gets done, but I think he cares far more about how it gets done. So to put it into kind of a modern cliche, I'd like to say that means do justify the ends. And we talk about ends justifying the means and things like that. How something ends up is absolutely justified by how it gets there. A cup that is clean on the outside but nasty on the inside is absolutely worthless. Crossing a finish line... When behind you there is a trail of carnage and deceit and lying and corruption, there's no value in that race that has been, has been won. When we consider the end of something or when we consider something that is done, it would make sense to consider how that person got there. That tension is played out in our society all the time. An example, not a specific example, but you can look to people right now that have a really nice body of work as a professional, whether it's uh, someone in Hollywood or someone that is in a church. This is happening to pastors as well, is that they have a very nice body of work, and then something happens, and the body of work is ruined, and it's causing people to go back to the body of work and saying, what was really going on there? Because they ended up on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. They ended up being a pastor of a church of of 15,000 people, but how did they get there? And those means catch right up at the worst times. So it does matter what gets done, but it matters even more of how it gets done. So in closing, this morning, Jesus has shown us what it looks like to faithfully navigate the tensions and the offered shortcuts that we receive. So this is a closing phrase I'd like to give you. When we consider the great reorientation that we are entering into, is that to reorient our lives to Christ and to live with purpose, we must become willing to dwell with God alone. Every single time that Jesus was presented a shortcut, he needed to reorient what his response would be, not around a witty cliche, but around his Father in heaven. We read in Psalm 91 that Desiree read for us earlier, that we are invited to dwell in the shelter of the Most High. It must become enough for us to rest in the shadow of the Almighty. It must become enough for us. That when it comes down to it, when we are presented with a shortcut or a crossroad or a tension, it must be enough for us to not take things into our own hands, to give up control. But it must be enough for us to be in what really must become a humble position. I mean, imagine physically resting in a shadow. You almost think of any dog or cat owners in the room. You, you almost think of a pet where it's really hot in the house, but a couch casts a shadow, and so they get in the shadow. You, you can imagine the, the, the position that you would have to hold in order to rest in a shadow of any kind. What great humility it takes to lay down and to have to curl up, but that must become enough for us. That is what Jesus is doing. Every single time that Jesus has something to come back on, yes, he he is in fact quoting actual scriptures from the Hebrew writings. He's quoting what we call Deuteronomy. but what Jesus is doing in this moment is he is reminding himself, I I, I dwell with the Most High. I rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Will you still be in a position to do meaningful things? Sure. But when we consider the different angles that our life can go, we have to consider the one angle that we need to approach those things. This doesn't mean that that we trade meaningful things for the kingdom. But what we have seen is that things have been done for good reason the wrong way. We have seen that time and time again. So this morning, the thing that we want to consider, as all of us are engaged in different ways, you know, we, we scatter from here and we're all engaged in different ways, finding ourselves in different scenarios and we find ourselves at times, the, the, the way to navigate the kingdom is different than how we are being invited to navigate the world. There, there is tension there. We live in a world of shortcuts. What I hope you see here in this story is an example of someone, the one, the resurrected one, who is confronted with good things. The issue is not, you're on a diet, eat the ice cream. He was confronted with good things. What Jesus is doing in this story is he is discerning the way in which God would have him operate. The way in which God would have him orient the shortcuts. So when you perhaps this week or in the future are confronted with something good, Is it the best? That is the question for us. That's what it's going to look like for us to reorient our lives into the image of Christ. Is it being enough for all of our wisdom to come from the Father? For it being enough for us to find ourselves in this restful, humble position of resting in the shadow of the Father.